You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Alex. Hey, Nick. So I have a question for you, man. Uh, What's up? Do you ever just kind of look in the mirror and regret everything? I feel like you ask me this a lot. <laughs> we always start with you assuming that my life is some treacherous pit of regret. Your life is a fucking mistake, dude. Well, that yeah, that's not the question. Like, what well, you know, like what we're, not, you we're not playing. Am I? Am I not? You know, worth <laughs> breath. <laughs> it's just like get some new material. It's just one of those things that uh, you know, I, I think about often because I just think like God, th- there was somebody out there. There's some. There's some other sperm traveling that could have come out. Hey everybody, so here goes Nick again, off on one of his negativity tangents trying to, you know, hurt my feelings, trying to bring uh, his darkness into the world, and I don't think that we need it, so instead of listening to that crap, uh, I'm just going to pull up some inspirational positive news and see what's going on, you know, good in the world. So here we go, it looks like pangolins are protected in China. Their scales being used for for medicine. That's great. Little armadillo things, pangolins. What is that? Uh, there are some rooftop like farms in Paris that are fueling an urban yeah. revolution. That sounds promising. Cities are being liberated from cars, as private vehicles are being designed out of urban areas with encouraging results. So there's your dose of positive news. Now let's get back to what Nick is talking about. Probably something inappropriately racial. I mean, could you give me like 50 bucks? Yeah, you need you need a loan? I need reparations. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Welcome to this thing we do. <laughs> Called Little Justice. I'm Nick Walker. Oh my God, I'm Alex Smollett. <laughs> this is our movie analysis podcast, our analysis of films where we pick a theme, pick some movies that best exemplify that theme. And ladies and gentlemen, we are very proud to come to you because we have, I would say, our our first official guest, an incredible, incredible actor. In fact, I would I would have to say one of the best actors I know, one of the most passionate artists I know. For two years, he was Hamilton in Hamilton. On the Broadway, both as a, as a standby and as the man himself, eight shows a week. And now you can catch him on 20s on BET. He is the one and only Javon McFerrin. Javon, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> you know, that, that entire intro, until you said 20s, you easily could have said Michael Lavoye as your guest. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a random black man. I was like, oh, all these touching things. Oh, but you got yeah, you got twenties on him though. You got twenties on Michael. You got that's 20s. true. That's true. That was a good time. Also, Michael is like two thousand shades darker than either of us combined. Michael is uh, he's a I mean, chocolate man. He is ebony. Yes, you're that. You're that. I'm nice, like a cinnamon. Yeah, like like a like a nice like a nice light fall oatmeal. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's no. where I put you with a little bit of brown sugar just for oh, color. Just a smidge. Just, just a, a smidge. just a little. Salt Bay Sprinkle. Yeah. The last time I think the three of us were in a room together, was it my wedding? Uh, I w- physically in the same place. Physically yeah. in the same place. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would agree with that. That was, uh, that was quite a time. That was what? quite a time. Oh like, man, was it ever? 
The that what, was a really fun wedding. I think that we, you know, we, we pretty much we we knocked that one out of the park, and I, I say that with uh, with all the humility warranted. But that was a good like, that was a good ass wedding. There's some good ass food. Speaking of regrets, uh, I still remember you before the wedding telling me about these amazing uh, like fried chicken sandwiches or something. Oh yeah, chicken and waffles. Fr- chicken and waffles, baby. Chicken and waffle. You're like you're gonna have to try these chicken and waffles. And like for some reason, I fixated on it. I was like, I can't wait. I can't wait. And then somehow in the hubbub of the wedding, the appetizers came and went and me without my chicken and waffles. And I'm, I'm, I still to this day regret. Alex, this, one. this, this is why, uh, we were all posted up by the, <laughs> yep. where the appetizers were coming out. So the appetizers never made it. Yeah. See, see, this is, this is what I will say about these <laughs> gotcha. two gentlemen, both Javon and Alex. They, so, you know, when, whenever you are fortunate enough to get married, if you're not married already, uh, you are a listener listening to this wonderful podcast, you know, make sure that you have your people with you because my P I will say, and the one thing I will never deny, I give them all my boys shit, but I will never deny they took care of us that day. Uh, my boys, Sarah's, Sarah's people, they, y'all, y'all had our back. So like, as soon as that wedding came down, y'all said, and they are unaccessible to the general public. We put us in a room. We were on lockdown, no guests, no shaking hands, nothing. Y'all on lockdown. It was very sweet, and it really. Well, we made... had to feed you. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Like I feel like that's the number one thing everybody says happens at their weddings. Like there's no time to eat. Yeah. So we were like, all right, we're gonna get you really drunk tonight. Oh God, yeah. We so got fucked up. let's at least get some food in your system so you can make it to the end of your wedding because you don't want you don't want to be sloppy. No. You don't want to like while your mom is giving an amazing speech throw up on the dance floor and then that's their that's the most memorable thing of the wedding at that point and then that's our fault that w- i would have put that on you i'd have been like um, yeah i would have accepted that blame but yeah man that was that was a that was a glorious day and y'all y'all came through but javon is uh truly truly you know a, a, just a good man a, a good a fellow pop culture nerd and uh someone who i just l- always love having these debates with so so nick in in the movie of your life yeah right, yeah, yeah. Does the does your wedding stand out as like is that going to be like a pivotal, a oh, pivotal I, scene? You know, I think it's funny because right now, from the if you're talking about the movie of my life, I think the wedding is the opening scene. The I think opening the, scene. See, that's like the beginning. I think the wedding's where you start because I think the the story of my life up until this point is like growing into married life. You know, I think the irony of the wedding is like you think you got it figured out. You think you figured it out. You're like, oh yeah, I'm fucking married. And then you don't understand that. No, 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 no. Now it now it really begins. <laughs> now is when you actually like have like grow up and become a man. Right. Um, what well, do do we get any flashbacks of like Nick as a little boy? I no, I don't think you need them. I think that you're no, able no to flashbacks. see. No, I fuck, fuck. I don't. I don't like those cutaways and flashbacks. I'm like, keep it all in the present moment. The flashbacks can't go any further than like two one two Giles. Yeah, they can't go any further than than me and Javon's first first meeting. I'd I'd say there wasn't really life before my junior year of college so that's that's where everything pretty much starts at uh, me and javon meant doing rent out at the hangar theater in ithaca it was me javon the young man named ryan garcia and we lived in a place called 212 giles in ithaca new york and, yeah uh, oh, we also it, worked with some really fantastic actors that some people might know we you did. know we worked with danielle brooks danielle brooks she was, was there. still at, i think she had just done her first year at juilliard and then uh, Asia Dillon, who's Asia now a, a huge star in her own right. And she's on Billions on Showtime. And uh, uh, Eric Jordan Young. 
yep. who just yep. destroyed us every single night without yep. cover you reprise. So it was just it was that was a really, really special summer. And I mean, it was also Ithaca. So it's like farmers markets. And- Remember when I went downstairs and there was a little girl riding her tricycle in our living room? The, there was no, I don't know if there was locks on the back doors or not, but people would just wander in. If I walked down my stairs and I found a little girl riding a tricycle in my living room, that'd be it. I'd, I'd jump out the second story window. And if I remember correctly, a little girl with no clothes on. I think she was I don't remember that. I'm going to remember that as her and at least a diaper. Yeah, or something. She didn't have it was it was something she should have had a dress on. She, she was definitely on. she was definitely like five. Yeah. That's the fallacy of ghosts though, right? Is like they shouldn't be wearing clothes, right? Now ghosts don't wear clothes. I I I'd hazard to say that ghosts do and should. Ghosts probably wear the last thing that they had, right? You is is it though? But like what if you die in an explosion and then all your clothes are burned up? Or, I mean, is it like we just think of ourselves, like our avatar, how we perceive ourselves in the world? Like, are you... Are you are so, so are there like a bunch of nudist ghosts out there that are just walking around, you know, free oh, in the I wind? absolutely yes. think there are. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. One. I had this whole thing targeted at getting into <gasps> biopics, and now we're on... <laughs> and now we're on, <laughs> on naked ghosts. Colonies and ghosts. Well, I had no. the whole, like, life movie of your life thing set up to start talking about biopics. And nope. now here we are talking about naked five-year-olds on tricycles. It's and so this dark. is where you regret having me as your first guest. <laughs> no, is, no, no. This, this is, is what regret really feels this like. Is, this is why we need you as our first guest, because <laughs> this is it. This is, this, is, this is what we do. But Alex brings up a good point. Our, our first t- So our theme today that we, that we invited Javon to take part in is biopics, movies about people who did things. True stories. True, true stories. stories. True stories. True stories. Um, and you know, and I, you know, it's it's an interesting genre. Well, you know, and that's so, Javon. Just so you know, so one of the things that we do is we normally uh, start with giving people as much context as possible. So, how would how would you def- define the biopic genre? Like, what what are the attributes that make a movie a biopic? It has to be an amazing story first and foremost. Because everybody has a story. Like, you have a great story. Alex has a great story. I think I have a great story. But our story isn't done. And I don't think that we've also hit the the apex of the gift that we have to give to the world, right? So I feel like when it comes to a biopic, it is the struggle of how to get there, the trials and tribulations, the love, the loss, the heartbreak. Because a lot of the movies, when, when you told me that this was the topic I was going to be talking about, you know, honestly, there were two directors that really came out first for me before biopics. Uh, and I was, and those would be Spike Lee and Martin Scorsese. And I think it, because if I have to get nitpicky, because there's a lot of biopics out there where sometimes you have to take a little liberty for the storytelling itself. But like a lot of the factual things remain the same, but sometimes you have to maybe put in a new character. Like, for example, the movie Bombshell. Uh, yep. Margot Robbie's character isn't real. Yes. She's a combination of, of a whole bunch of stories that are real. Yeah. But they put her in the movie as a device to, you know, to have that character. You're absolutely right. And I think the, the thing to remember, too, is when you're dealing with, you know, these stories that, that happened, I think the hardest part about translating them onto film is just the fact that, you know, like, 
at some point <laughs> a person's entire life is not movie worthy when you're making a film a film is a is a you know a very or st- any story is a variation on a theme so if there are parts of the the story that actually happened that play into that theme you do sometimes have to create characters combine characters and people just anything to kind of you know not not shy away from what the actual historical story was mm-hmm but get get closer to whatever you're trying to do with your movie. You know, uh, almost famous, right? Almost famous is is definitely not a biopic, but I mean, it's it certainly is is about Cameron Crowe's young life. He gives everybody different names. He gives everybody, you know, it's not the same bands that he was following around. It, and it was, you know, he takes multiple experiences that he had with bands growing up and puts them all into one. That said, so many of those things actually happened to him, and he's crafting a story you know, to tell a certain point about his life as opposed to trying to document his life. I mean, I think the end point of a biopic is to, it's not to say what happened, it's to explain why it happened. Mm -hmm. And so I think that can come out in a very literal way um, where it's, you know, beat for beat, like here are the major chapters of someone's life. It could come out in a creative way, like like, um, Rocket Man. You know, yep. kind of use the music that he was creating as he went to explain like what was happening as it went along. I never, I haven't seen it. I need to. I still. Need to I see haven't it. seen it either. I heard. Yeah. It, I heard he's great. In a day and age where like every single uh, famous musician from the last you know forty or fifty years has had a movie made about them, um, it's it's a good take on it. Yeah. Uh, not not amazing, but interesting. So, Alex, do you want to start us off and see? So the, the way we do this, Javon, is one of us will kind of set the stage for what our movie is, and then the other two of us try to guess what that movie is. Usually we fail miserably. Actually, no. So we, we've been batting pretty good. We've batting I, I'm pretty bad good. at it. I've realized that you're good at it, and I'm bad at it. That's with most things in life. I guess wrong most of the time. Yeah, you do. You are wrong. I'm pretty terrible. This one you guys are going to get right away. I thought because we want to get past my opinion, past yeah, Nick's and, opinion, we and wanna, mine. We, we want to get to yours. What, what yeah. Javon has to think. So mine is more of a, a fun little uh, way to start. But it is one of literally, literally one of my favorite movies of all time. It's probably made my top five favorite movies of all time. Ooh, okay. It so is a, it is a it is a a biopic among biopics. It is it is the biopic. I feel like I know. I feel like I already know it's going to be, and I just I I'm so excited. <laughs> We open backstage. Oh God! Yep. Oh God! I know exactly what it is. (laughs) I knew it. We hear the crowd roiling in the background. Uh, Hate you for this. People loiter, leaning against the wall, (laughs) hurrying around. Uh, A man, frantic, with a headset on and a clipboard. Cox, Mr. Cox, running. Cox, I need Mr. Cox. He's looking for Cox. Guys, I need Cox. He wants Cox. The movie, of course, is Walk Hard. You're going to have to give him a moment, son. Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he plays. You have failed conclusively. It's over. I was willing to open my mind because these Jewish gentlemen brought you in here. They usually have good taste. And I have to say that today, your performance has shaken my belief in the Jewish people. Well, there's nothing I would like more Sir, then to restore your faith in Judaism right now. Dude, we don't know this song. You just follow me. (laughs) 
walk hard. <laughs> the story. Oh, oh my God, you um, idiot. Th- this, this movie to me, and we don't need to spend a lot of time walk on it. If hard. you haven't seen it, pl- please God, go see it. Hard walk hard. There are, are certain things that just go into biopics, and especially biopics of musicians, you know, Walk the Line and, and movies like that, Ray. And what, what Walk Hard does is, in like a pitch-perfect way, takes all of the cliché Mm-hmm. from these movies you know like the childhood trauma that leads into wanting to pursue this career dewey i'm cutting half pretty bad in case i don't make it then you have to be double great for the both of us and the like every up and down and the relationships and the divorces we're married i did the right thing it's not like we're not married if you're already married, you can't get married again. I know, I know. And that was wrong. And the what you learn in the end and all that. And it, it, it is so accurate to what all of these movies are. It's a raunchy slapstick comedy. It's ridiculous. But it treats them respectfully. And it, it really like shows, like by the end, it shows you like how epic these lives actually are. The other great thing about Walk Hard, quite frankly, is that, you know, I think that they really studied... It's just so well how these movies operate. Do you know what I mean yeah, like they, they did not oh, yeah. gloss over it? No, yeah, at, at all. all. Get out of here! You don't want any part of this shit. <laughs> Get out of here, Dewey. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. You know what? I don't want no hangover. I can't get no hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. I get addicted to it or something. It's not habit forming. I don't know. I don't want to overdose on it you can't od on it it's not gonna make me want to have sex is it it makes sex even better sounds kind of expensive it's the cheapest drug there is and john c Riley, i'm sorry he's fucking brilliant in that movie he, i mean every the, the, everything the cast he does. they assembled everything everything is perfect the music they they literally toured the music around uh and it takes music like each each like era of his life is kind of based around a different musician. So like he starts off with the walk the line story and he's playing, you know, getting into rock music like Johnny Cash. Uh, at one point he's Bob Dylan. Uh, some people are saying that your new music sounds a lot like Bob Dylan. Well, maybe Bob Dylan sounds a lot like me. You know, how come nobody ever asked Bob Dylan why you sound so much like Dewey Cox? Mailboxes drip like lampposts in the twisted birth canal of the Coliseum. And it, 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 it reframes the way that you see these movies. Mm-hmm. I think you know, after watching it, you realize like you go back and watch these other serious films uh, about these these artists lives um, and you realize, oh, wow. Like, yeah. So that's that's my we, uh, you know, we don't need to spend no. more time on that than we have but, to. But, but definitely, uh, if you haven't seen Walk Hard, if you haven't seen Walk Hard, see Walk you Hard. need to don't, don't invite your parents along. But uh, no, check no, it no. out. Don't there do it. There was an Adam there. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go next. I'll go next. So my movie actually starts different. And I'm not sure if you guys will get it right off the bat. My movie starts on a close up of our lead character's face, and he's practicing a speech. I accept this honor for our lost ones, whose deaths pave our path, and for the twenty million Negro men and women motivated by dignity and a disdain for hopelessness. He's very intense, kind of withdrawn. And he's just going over the speech over and over again. And he finally is like, it's not working. And he calls in his wife. You just get the sense that this is a man who is just very hard on himself. There's a lot of pressure on him. You hear that he's going to accept his Nobel Peace Prize. And then we cut to 
a couple of things happening. We cut to four black girls walking into a church, uh, playing a game of some sort. We also cut to an older woman trying to vote in Selma, Alabama, but being, uh, being prevented. And we're cutting kind of back and forth between all these things. Uh, and then the kind of the pinnacle is that these four young girls who are in this church, <clears throat> a bomb goes off and uh, they are they are all four killed. And that's how this movie opens. The movie, of course, is Selma. Are we not done with this? Will this ever end? I don't know, Mr. President. A, a comprehensive plan is already in place. The, the act was only passed six months ago. So hammer home that impatience only hurts the overall cause. We're, we're getting there. Just, just keep reiterating the plan. Nah, he doesn't want reiteration. He wants something so he can say, look, I told you I had a dream, and it's all coming goddamn true, whether you like it or not. That's what he wants. Why it chose Selma, you know, it's, it's... When compared to some of the other biopics that have come out in recent years, I, th- I mean, I, you know, it's, it's the movie that put Ava DuVernay on the map. She is one of the best directors of our time. She's just, her eye is incredible, and her commitment to the story she tells is incredible. Um, and I, I'm a huge admirer of her work. But the thing I really appreciated about this specific thing, you know, and it's something that Walk Hard actually lampoons a lot, is that when you're making a movie, you know, unless you're going to make like a true epic, a true epic, it is so hard to get in an entire person's story. Mm-hmm. And I think the strength of Selma is that it doesn't try to capture, you know, Selma being about Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. It doesn't try to capture their lives in total. It literally just says, we're going to focus on this one battle, right? This, this, the, the Montgomery voting rights marches, that's what we're going to focus in on. And in doing so, you, you actually learn a lot more about King than you would if you were spanning his entire life, just because you're seeing him as possibly the most pivotal moment of his journey. David Oyelowo does, or Oyelowo, I always forget, I, I apologize for butchering your last name, sir, um, but he does a marvelous job as Dr. King, as does Carmen Jogo as Coretta Scott King. His necktie is not right. No, it's not a necktie, dear. It's an ascot. Yeah, but generally the same principle should apply, shouldn't they? It's not right. Not right or you don't like it? It really is fascinating to watch this guy who is not... I, I always find it crazy how young he was. Like, he was our age, dudes. Like, that's, that's something that has always just been huge to me. But just to see him at this hugely pressurized point i've never seen selma i definitely oh, dude, should yeah. see it there's always like those assholes when people talk about dr king mm-hmm. who are like yeah well he he was terrible to his wife you know he uh, he wasn't a saint whatever D- does the movie explore that side does it use that like it, what, what like it, it does certainly does not apologize for it because the whole thing is so first of all where did this come from right this came from the, the government and the and hoover had his you know had his men recording King's conversations. So Coretta was sent tape of him talking to someone else, right? So Coretta has a book or had a, you know, she's, she's sadly passed, but her book, I think, which I haven't read yet and I need to read, goes into detail about what that marriage was like. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Coretta. Do you love any of the others? But from all all accounts that I know and have read, they had a good marriage other than this thing, which is a huge thing. But the movie, I think, 
deals with it in a way of like it is certainly a blemish on his character. It is not something that is celebrated. I guess why I ask is because with a good biopic movie, I feel like what we were talking about before, like you should go in with one perception of who this person is, yeah. uh, who this figure is in your mind. Cause they're paint, you know, people become painted by history, mm-hmm. right. And they become defined by events yeah. and defined by the way that we talk about them. And I think what these movies are good at doing is digesting them in a different way and, and putting out a new image out the other end. That's, that's maybe not, uh, it's diff- different, yep. but more complex. Uh, it, it adds more texture to them. So do you think this movie does that? You're absolutely right. And I think, and, and Javon, chime in here for sure. But I, th- I think what I, what I always love about this movie is that you come out just seeing how tired he is. That's, that's, the, that's the root of all of this, of everything he was doing, was just he was, under, he was scared. He was under immense amounts of pressure, both you know, death threats and political threats and everything that was happening. And he was tired. And and you just see somebody who has been kind of thrust to the center of something that they don't even quite understand. But still won't give up, no matter what. To realize everything that he represented and stood for and, and the fight. So, yeah, that movie was, it was a hard watch. You're very much viscerally able to feel what these people went through. And... And especially on him, you come out like he is a complex man, but he's complex in large part due to the time that he's in. Do you know what I mean? There's no way to come out of the time that he was living in and doing what he was doing, what all of them were doing, and not be complex creatures. That, that there's just no way he was he was being battered from all sides. Um, but yeah, it's it's a you know definitely check it out. I don't want like yeah I want I really I definitely want to get to yours, Javon. So. But Selma is a wonderful film, and if you have if you have time, go go check it out. All right, so it's, it's my go round. Let's see, your go round, baby. <laughs> um, so, all right, it's so like like Alex was saying before, and I think that this the opening of my movie does that is that there's a tone that is set, it starts with a blackout, and then lights come up, and it's the American flag, and then there's also flashes of the Rodney King beat. Yep, yep, yep. And it goes yep. back to the American flag. You're still hearing the speech. He finally gets introduced. And then the flag slowly gets a, is set on fire. Cut back to Rodney yep. King. Cut back to the American flag. The entire time, this, this speech is happening. And you can tell that the, the entire crowd just has this energy of hope and togetherness. Yep. But visually, we still see a black man being beaten by the police. And then yep. finally, the burning of the flag stops. But it makes a letter. We've never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. X. Boom, baby. You know, it, yeah, yeah. Speak on it, Javon. Speak on what you like about this film. The great thing about this film is I think that it really shows the evolution of not just Malcolm X, but of a man himself. Because we're talking about somebody who, in the beginning of the film, you see him, in a way, try to be white, try to be something else, does his hair a certain way, dresses in the zoot suit with his homie Shorty. He's a criminal. He's a thug. He's a pimp. He does 
drugs. He does all these things. Then he gets caught. He goes to jail. He finds Islam, becomes a Muslim. And he's still, I feel like until he comes back from his trek from Mecca is when I really feel like he finds himself. Because even though he is saved at multiple parts of the movie, I think the overall message of the movie and why Malcolm X is probably very, very powerful is because he had such a knowledge of himself. But also through, and he also admitted mm. when he was wrong. Like when he came back from Mecca mm. and there's that whole montage scene where he's he does everything you're supposed to do, but then such a powerful part and point for him is he said, Now you may be shocked by these words, but I have eaten from the same plate, drunk from the same glass, and prayed to the same God with fellow Muslims whose eyes were blue, whose hair was blonde, and whose skin was the whitest of white. And we were all brothers. And up until that point, mm -hmm. that was the devil. So to mm -hmm. be able to see good in what you perceived for so long, as bad and then be struck down for it because he tried to push the religion not i would say like in a negative way or away from its its morals but he wanted to just when he came back he came back as a brand new man everything about him was different his speeches were different the way he communicated to people were different how he held himself was different like he still was who he was at his core, but he realized that there was just, there was more than even himself. So I thought, and the fact that it's like a three and a half hour movie and Very it leaves long. no stone unturned. I mean, I thought a really powerful point of the movie is when he gets into a fight with his wife, with Angela Bassett. Mm -hmm. And you also, just like Martin Luther King's wife, you see that she is important. Regardless of what the religion and like how their, their place and the things that they're supposed to do, she steps to him and she says, no, we're going to fight. Look, Betty, I just want peace. I want to sit here with you. I want to be still. Have we ever had a fight? Never. Argue? Never had one, no. You're gonna have one. Right now, if you don't talk about it. Talk about what, Maddie? The talk's everywhere. There's talk everywhere. There's always talk. There's always gonna be talk. Aren't they talking now about me trying to take over the nation? Isn't that the talk? Aren't they talking about how we're, <laughs> we're getting rich off the nation of Islam? Isn't we that the talk? talk? We can talk about that, too. Well, let's talk about it. It's not just talk anymore. And for him to, to again, for just for himself to have to step back and be like, wow, not only am I fighting for so many things, but I have maybe lost sight of the things that's happening in my own house. So I just thought there were so many parts of that movie where it is so much about self-discovery and stepping back, looking at yourself, not judging yourself when you know that you're wrong. And sometimes you believe something and then it gets crushed. And politics played a huge part in that movie, making it 
the things that were happening to Malcolm at the time, being followed by the CIA, everybody wanted to make sure that they failed because when you're as powerful as somebody like Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, people want to take you down. And that's what happened, sadly. Did this shape your perception of Malcolm X at all after watching this movie? Yeah, because I think, well, I saw it when I was really young. It was one of those films that I feel like my parents thought it was really important for me to watch. Uh, I think I was probably, well, this movie came out in 1992. I probably saw it when I was like 10. So I probably saw it years later, like 90, 95, when I probably could understand things a little bit better. And I just remember my dad sitting me down and being like, we, we're going to watch this movie because it's important. And you're going to have, and I think it was also a way of having a black father teach their son about how the world really works when you look different from people and how scary things can be. Absolutely. You know, like there are certain films that my parents definitely had me watch, like, you know, Boys in the Hood. That the entire scene where you they get pulled over by the cops and how to, you know, talk to the cops like those are these are all really important tools to teach people how the world really, really works. And, you know, before that, and you kind of hear that, like Martin, yeah, Martin was a peacemaker and Malcolm was, you know, the renegade, the one that was very much like, you know, when they push, you push back harder. But there was a lot more to him than that. There was a very layered, layered man who went through millions of things before he even became Malcolm X. He wasn't Malcolm X in the beginning, but he became Malcolm X. And then Malcolm X changed him as a person. It was just, I think it's, it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful movies that I've seen ever. I think it's probably the most accurate when it comes to biopics um and i don't think that it really leaves any stone unturned i mean even it, it, it there are so many ways that they could have handled the film and i think that they handled it the in a very respectful way but they also didn't shy away from the the his past and the things that he did that were not acceptable to to any standards of being a man, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I love that. I love that context. And you're saying you, you watch it when you're young as like as a means for exploring real life things, right? Because like, what are, what are stories really to people than means for understanding their own lives? Mm -hmm. And so the the best stories provide, um, you know, some kind of beneficial context for the viewer. Well, and it's and it's also it's incredible because of the you know the way that you know I think. Spike Lee very early on from from the burning of the flag scene into into the barbershop scene right mm -hmm. which comes right after there's just a sense in the way he films it and the way you know you have Malcolm X you know doing voiceover kind of narrating his own story um you just get the sense that this is a person you know this is not going to be told in a it's almost told like a fairy tale like he very much it kind of unravels in this in this very fantastical way the first especially especially the first 30 minutes are just you know kind of like jazz mm -hmm. personified you know he's at the he's at this club and he's they're all like professional dancers somehow and you know doing all these crazy moves and he meets this white woman and they're on a car at the beach and very <clears throat> you know kind of plays with 
form and and style throughout the movie so what all this to say you know i think for especially for a young person watching it there's such an engaging way in you are immediately swept up in you know despite this being a historical movie this is so much more it's it's just like a good it's like a good american mm-hmm. epic that's what i've always it, it really just belongs it's in a like, classic i mean and it stands it stands on its own in in a way that a lot of movies like this don't yeah because it's not really just does. it's not just a painting of a person's life like like there's there's a deeper no. you know texture to it there's a, a, a quilt of stuff going on um and and you you almost can't even talk about Malcolm X in the same vein that you can talk about other biopics, whether it's no. you know political yeah. biopics or music biopics or anything. Um, it it really does stand on its own, and it also stands out the fact that it is like three and a half hours long. Because I feel like yeah. most most I mean, and but every time I've watched it, it doesn't feel like it's three and a half hours long. It it moves. The pacing is great. That I mean, Denzel got robbed. I, I think that we can all agree. What happened that year? Oh, I think, I think it was a woman. woman that he lost to. Yeah, because because Malcolm X was ninety two. Ninety two. So then Al Pacino, yep, sent a, uh, or at least that was Best Picture. No, no, it was Best Actor. He he lost out to yeah, Al Pacino for Sent of so a Woman. So insane which to is, me. Yeah, one of the coolest things I remember I, was, I saw this interview with Spike Lee, and he's talking about Malcolm X, and you know Denzel became Malcolm X, like he was malcolm and they were shooting a a scene where denzel is doing a malcolm speech and he's preaching on on his on the soapbox on the corner and he's talking to everybody and they keep the camera rolling because denzel is on a boat when i call you black because that's what you are you're black you're black and you're beautiful because black is beautiful Um, now you know you don't have to come down here every day begging these folks for a job well, you can wash their clothes for them. You can scrub their floors. You can rock their little breasts to sleep for the rest of your life. You'll still end up poor and without anything. And yet you're Keeps rolling. He rolls yep. for maybe like 10, 15 minutes before then they finally stop. And Denzel does not remember that at all. Denzel was basically taken over by the spirit of Malcolm X and preached for a solid 10, 15 minutes. Denzel does not remember doing that part of the movie. That whole take, that cut. It's fucking like that's to be able to like envelop somebody so much that you continue to preach the word as you were Malcolm. I just thought was was an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, Denzel's done some this and hurricane he's it's just what he does to your point like it because it is so long because you know if you like i said if you're gonna tell a person's life story you better do it well and spike lee does it well and nothing feels rushed nothing feels skimmed over and in that you get to see denzel use his full facility right because he plays malcolm from when he's a a knuckleheaded Mm -hmm. asshole kid to when he is at his at that store, so he gets to play all the colors of Malcolm. So you see, in in more than any of of his other work, you see the full range and capability of this actor. Malcolm X has always been my favorite Denzel film, or his my favorite Denzel performance. I just think it's stunning, truly stunning. So Malcolm X. So so if if art is a reflection of somebody and what's important to them. Javon chooses Malcolm X. 400 years is long enough. You've been sitting down and laying down and bowing down for 400 years. I think it's time to stand up. Nick chooses Selma. I'd rather people be upset and hate me 
than be bleeding or dead. And Alex chooses. What are you talking about, Edith? What about my dreams? Edith, I told you I can't build your candy house. It will fall down. The sun will melt the candy. It won't work. It will if it never rains. That's funny. <laughs> and that this goes back to where we I've started this conversation, which is right now. It's cool, man. Yeah, I'm still I'm rest, still sixty percent white, so it's, it's fine. We're yeah, we're good. Yeah, 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 you know, it's 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 all right, man. It's all right. You know what I mean? Like you you chose you chose what you were supposed to choose, and that's I did. No no regrets. That's your choice, man. No regrets. No regrets. Hey, no, dude. No, that should be that should that should be the no title regrets. of this episode. No regrets. No regrets. Pick. No regrets. No regrets. So so what are Javon? Uh, are we? Yes. We can wrap up. No, I was gonna say smart. I was gonna say smart ass choice. choice. Uh, you know, smart ass choice. It's yeah. it, honestly, it was the first. It was the first one that popped in my head, uh, because it's it's the one that's probably stuck with me the most. I mean, there's a lot of great biopics out there. Um, you know, Spotlight is definitely one that I considered uh, choosing. I just mm -hmm. thought that that entire that oh, I thought that great. was a, a really beautifully done movie. Social Network is great. A beautiful mind oh, is great. Social Network would have been a social good network. Choice. Social Network, That's social network. But I also choice. feel like the reason I didn't choose that is because again, there are parts of the film that aren't exactly lined up the way that it happened in reality. Exactly. I I don't feel like I know Mark Zuckerberg much better after watching it. I feel like it's I, I I I do. I, but I I just I I, I, just, I always got the sense with that that that's not really you know for dramatic effect. I feel they like I knew a lot. I feel, yeah, I feel I felt like I knew Aaron yeah. Sorkin yeah. better after that. I just I always than, was than just Mark like, Sorkin. oh, so Zuckerberg is just the nerdy kid that hustled everybody, but still has no friends. I mean, the sad part yeah, I mean, is he's still trying yeah. to be friends with his ex girlfriend, and he reloads the page. To see if she's right, but the that's the, the character of Zuckerberg does that. I just don't believe that real Mark Zuckerberg is that person. I don't know. I think he sucks. I mean, well, he does, <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't yeah, know it. Just, like he kind of knows it at the end of that movie. And it's weird too because that movie is almost you know he almost used Zuckerberg as a way to explore what what Facebook has become. That that was kind of more you know I think Zuckerberg, I'm guessing, was probably more about the idea. You know, when when you're like, and that's the thing, right? When you're when you're doing a movie like that, you know, it has to come from what is the theme of your movie? And the theme of the social network is how is literally the you know they say it. How do you stand out in a room mm -hmm. of thousands of people? That is the theme, and that's that's what Facebook was when it first came out, and what social media is, right? How, it's how it's the game of I need to stand out. I need to wave my hand so I can stand out. We all say it's about keeping up with each other and content connection. It's not about connection. It's about you making yourself feel special yeah. and, and not in a bad way. But like it's I think that that's kind of the liberty. Yeah, that you want to feel Sorkin special. You want to like, feel okay. powerful. You want to feel yeah. important. Important. And so and so Sorkin, in my mind, took that and put it onto his character. As Sorkin biopics go, though, you know, give me jobs. The Steve Jobs movie was I mean, because because Jobs you're talking about about, about like Selma move like it 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 takes place at a, a seminal moment and uses that to frame yeah. you know why this person mm -hmm. is who they are. Um, Jobs does it. It's it's a th it's basically a three act play uh, where where each one yep. is a major launch right before Apple became like the last one is like the iMac like right before it became Apple and it uses that to frame his relationship with his daughter and his ex wife and his assistant and and his partner and 
um, all these things like that. That's effective to me because it gives a lot of it, it. It can it can spend private time with these characters, and you understand like maybe that's not exactly who they were, but you understand all the pressures and all the processing that must have gone on, and like to to get where they are. Mm-hmm. I just feel like Social Network didn't quite get me there. Like it 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 moved too fast. It was too stylish. It was too you know. Um, I think it just took too much liberty with who like Zuckerberg is not like a fast talking, you know, angst, you know, he's, he's kind of a robot. Um, I don't think he'd be that interesting to, to hang out with, but like I'd hang out with Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg. I, I would, I would not, I would hang out with uh, Andrew Garfield as a, uh, what's his name? Oh yeah. Um, he seems much cooler. Uh, yeah, he seems, he seems chill. I would, I, he seems like he honestly reminds me of Zach Kazin. Alex. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's that's Zach. He's, you know, just a big old heart. I you want to know one I of the, the craziest biopics that the book was actually even more insane than the movie. Catch me if you can. I'll be honest. I didn't even know there Talk was a book. It, no, it's the book. I oh. read the book and yeah. let's put it this way. The movie is like a quarter of the stuff that this guy pulled off. Yeah, they also had to change the dynamic about the uh, the his father and the family dynamic. But a lot of, you know, him escaping from a plane and forging checks and all, all the escape scenes, those are real. But there's also a lot more that happened. The he sold his story, which is why he didn't he didn't have control over it after he sold the story. Um, but um yeah. Catch me if you can. I would say the book is crazier, and there's I don't I think if they would have put it in the movie, I don't know if people would have believed it. Do you think that if it wasn't Spielberg, if it wasn't aimed at like a a super mass audience, like if they did the full book in a in a three three and a half hour movie, it, it would have worked? Yeah, I do, I do, I do think it would have worked because it it's one of those things where you just you can't believe it, but. It's so true. I also think yeah. back in the day when he was doing all these crime things, it was probably much easier to get away with stuff. Like today, oh, yeah. if I forge a check, yeah. I'm sure by the time time I'm like done drying it, like I'll have cops at my front door. I mean, imagine faking your way into the cockpit of an airplane. <laughs> like that's something that Dude, could not happen. Oh my god, I can't believe he got like because that the thing that pisses me off about that. Right, look, it's one thing. If you're like for okay, forging checks. Okay, that's that's one thing. But when you're pretending you're a fucking cop or you're pretending you're like a doctor, like it's in the movie, it's fun. Right, like, oh fun. yeah, it's he's not getting admirable away. at all. It's it's those people's lives were in your head. Like, those are very dangerous jobs. You need to be able to do them because those are people's lives. And like even like you know they have some so much fun and then everyone like there's like i think there's like a kid who got into like he either got hit by a car he's in a bicycle accident or some shit and like there's like a bone popping out of his leg and fucking leo's there and he's like trying to you know make something up and he's all charming and shit it's like no there's there's a kid mm-hmm. who like needs your help dude like and you are not in a position to help him this is fucked up i always hated that. i was like that's gross yeah gross yeah you know? it's like some alex <laughs> smaller shit that's some Alex Muller <laughs> shit right there. It's like, would you do? I feel like you would do that. Would you do that, you I, son of a bitch? Yeah, probably. See, I don't, I don't no think hesitation I'll ever be in that situation. So let's keep it hypothetical. But yeah, I'd probably do that, dude. It's 2020. We don't, we don't fucking know. No, I'm sure like aliens are gonna land in June. 
in 2020 the way it's gone. People would not I'm even be counting surprised. on it. I'm like waiting for no. it. No, no, <laughs> fucking let's go, man. Let's fucking go. That's the, that's the next step because that's what's going to redeem us, right? When we have to do that that Independence Day style oh, yeah. fight. Well, you, so oh, you yeah. think it's going to be a fight? Oh my, dude, these what, aliens, what are they going to do? Are come coming take now, our pollution from us, like. They're gonna come. You know what they're gonna do? They're gonna come take Bob Iger. We're here for Bob. We're here for Bob Iger. The rest of you, we don't give a fuck over. about. But then, ever, but Disney's gonna be like, "No, you can't take him. We're not done with him yet." They're gonna hold oh, on. Man. Hold my, on. My to that grandmother, uh, before she passed, she communed with aliens. Was her thing, I and she wrote some that. books about it and stuff. And her whole thing was: there's a time coming soon where, like. The whole, you know, spiritual balance of the planet is going to shift as these aliens approach, and and like we're we're leading up, things are going to, the apocalypse basically is going to happen, and and out of its ashes, aliens will help us rebuild, you know, this society. So my parents are convinced that this is what is beginning now. I mean, that'd be cool. Yeah, I saw a UFO once, so like I'm all about them, like just landing and helping yeah. us out. Now talk. Javon, I've in in the eleven years we've been friends, I've never heard the story. Oh, when did you see okay. The UFO? So the, I was this was uh, given seven years ago or something like that, and sure. I'm walking my dog, uh, Mama at the time, and I'm walking to uh, my girlfriend's house, and um, you know I'm just standing there walking, da 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 da, and Mama sniffs a tree, so I'm standing there and I look up. And there's this really, really bright star in the sky. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, that it must be a planet or something. It's not blinking, da, 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 da. And literally the moment my thought exited my head about it being a star, it shot directly up and disappeared. Whoa. Not like a shooting star where it was like it trailed going left or right. It was a stationary object for a solid 10 seconds. And then it shot straight mm. into the sky. And Ooh. I think I stood in that spot for a solid 10 minutes and didn't move. I love that. That's terrifying. And my brother's a huge UFO guy, so I called him and I was like, I've, I saw a UFO, so step your game up. Ooh, we got we to gotta do a, a UFO episode or an alien episode. Ooh. Oh, I think we should absolutely yeah. do an alien episode. Javon, would you come back for yeah. an alien episode? I mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> aliens are amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to do a, like a, like a good, that's actually that shit. Let's yeah. Let's put that on the we'll fucking, throw that on the docket. We gotta, yeah. throw that on the docket. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, if you guys have any other um, movies that you think fit in the biopic, feel free to tweet at us on the Twitters. Uh, we are at Lil Justice Pod, L I L J U S T I C E P O D. Javon McFerrin, so it has much. been nothing. No, no, thank you. Privilege having you on this podcast. You are you're the, the best, best, my friend. Um, stay. You're, you're the, the best. Yes. Stay safe out there, everybody. And uh, Alex, give me my fifty bucks. <laughs> little Justin, little Justin, little Justin. Hi y'all, this is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs>